you know, as you, you think about this time of year and are bombarded, I'm sure, with a variety of things that come at you during the Christmas season, it's interesting to see what Christmas has become. And that's cliche to even say, but it certainly is still true. Christmas has become many different things that obviously in Scripture it was not designed necessarily to be. Christmas for many has become about the gifts. And some in a very negative, selfish way. <laughs> you want the gifts. But for some it's become about the gifts to the point where you think you're doing something great, but it wears you out trying to do it all. And you spend money that you don't have and then try to figure out how to pay for it in January and February when the bills come due. Christmas, in large part, has become about the gifts. Or maybe, maybe you see in our world that this time of year, Christmas, is, is just about being nice to people. And that's really, for, for some folks, what Christmas is all about. This time of year, it's the joy of the holiday season, and we're to be nice to one another, as if the rest of the other 11 months of the year don't count. That time of year, you can do whatever you want. As long as you're nice to folks around Christmas, you really get what Christmas is all about. Uh, Christmas is also, for many people, about not offending anyone. This is my favorite. I love how in our society, uh, we have gotten to the point where we feel we have the right now not to be offended by anyone whatsoever under any circumstances. And so Christmas has become the absolute pinnacle of political correctness. You cannot say the word Christmas must say something else, and so on. Uh, it's interesting that in many cases, Christmas, uh, this is our noble intent, even though it's a little bit misguided, has become about the kids. Well, as long as the kids enjoy it, and they're smiling, and they have a wonderful time, then, then we've achieved the true meaning of Christmas. We've made a child's day. There's nothing wrong, of course, with making a child's day. But sometimes we get a little bit misguided. Now, the truth is, we may claim one thing, that we believe Christmas truly is about what the Bible says it is, but our lives often depict something else. And you know that as well as I do, and I'm as guilty as you are. In many cases, obviously, we all stand there together. The drift from Christmas and what it's really about, obviously, has happened over hundreds of years. It hasn't just happened in our lifetimes, though many can look back and say, well, it used to be like this when I was a child, and now it's changed. But it's happened over hundreds of years. And unfortunately, that drift from what Christmas really is all about is now ingrained and built in to our culture. If you look at the money, just money alone that's spent on Christmas, many families, I'm sure, are here this morning, and you spend more on Christmas than you do on anything else at any other time of year for any reason whatsoever. And it all happens at one time, and you wonder, how am I going to do all that? Uh, as much as I love my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, and as much as I appreciate you representing the Cardinals this morning, represented by your red, <laughs> as much as I love all of that, I'm very disappointed, I have to tell you, in what I came across not long ago, that Louisville this year, uh, under the new leadership of a new mayor, has decided that they will now, instead of having a city Christmas tree, they now have a city holiday tree. As if you can somehow separate the tree from the association with Christmas. Well, I guess they're trying. A little disappointed in that. I, my, my children also, and just another sign of the times, my children like to watch a show on Disney Junior called Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Any, anybody familiar with Jake? Neverland Pirates? Okay, all right, good. good. Parents of small children. If you're not familiar with Jake and the Neverland Pirates, then God bless you. Jake and the Neverland Pirates is sort of a little kid spinoff of the old Peter Pan story. 
and they have these little adventures with Captain Hook and Smee and all these folks, and it, you know, it always winds up where Jake and the Neverland Pirates always come out on top. Well, the other day, they had their winter special, and they were celebrating on Jake and the Neverland Pirates Winter Treasure Day. You have to understand they're pirates, and I suppose they're going for something along the line of pirates. But Winter Treasure Day is what they were celebrating, and then they, they lit the Forever Green Tree, that's what they called it. I have to tell you, I was more than just a little disappointed and perturbed by the stance of Jake and the Neverland Pirates and their celebration of Winter Treasure Day. I saw also a t-shirt uh, online this week from a person whose sarcasm is after my own heart when it said, Happy non-denominational, religion-optional, op generic holiday-type season, if you're into that sort of thing. That's what the shirt said. Happy non-denominational, religion-optional, generic holiday-type season. I thought that was great. Isn't that where we've come? You realize that you and I cannot change the entire culture of the United States. But maybe God has given you some measure of influence over the lives of young people. Maybe God has placed in your life children in your home or around you in your family or grandchildren, and certainly we see this morning children in our church over whom we have some measure of influence. We cannot leave here today thinking we will storm the culture of our, of our nation and think we'll do it any other way but through the children God has placed in our lives. Hear that again. We, we can't leave here today and think we're going to storm the culture of our nation and think we're going to accomplish it anyway but in the lives of our children. You realize that? Some of you disagree with that. I happen to believe that it's true. That if we want to influence culture and change generations, we can't start anywhere but with our own children that we have influence over. Whether it's in your home, whether it's your grandchildren, whether it's nieces, nephews, or the children in this church, that's where we have to start. And so this morning, I want to preach to you a sermon based upon that idea that comes from the scripture that we'll see in Luke chapter 2. The idea that if we're going to turn around what Christmas really is all about in our thinking, then we must start with those that we have influence over. So the drift from the true meaning of Christmas, honestly, is really just a symptom of a bigger drift that's happening in many of our homes today. A drift away from what our focus should be. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. If you're familiar with the book of Luke whatsoever, chapter 2 you may recognize as really the nativity story. The birth story of Jesus and his early childhood as far as we know. And, and then there's a gap after that. And so what we're going to look at this morning are the last few verses in the book of Luke, chapter 2. And we're not going to focus as much on the nativity story as we are on what is also the presentation of Jesus included in that, which is his early childhood, and what then the responsibilities were for his parents, his earthly parents as they raised him. The, the story of the Bible, obviously, you cannot read the Bible and, and realize that it's not centered, uh, not realize rather, that it's centered on Jesus himself. And we know that the, the Christmas story must certainly be focused on him, but there are times, and I believe this is one of them, where many of us, myself included, we need a, a readjustment, a reminder, we need to repent, we need to turn around from where we've been going, and we'll see that this morning, uh, to, to understand how even the earthly parents of Jesus required a major recalibration on their approach to him. Look in verse 39. 
when they, talking about Jesus' family, had completed everything according to the law, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Wouldn't you love to say that last line about the children in your life? That they increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. If you think about what a true spiritual champion is, it's that kind of person follows the example of Jesus Christ and absolute faith in God the Father, submitting all to Him and grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with people. The kind of person who loves the Scripture, whose life is about obedience to God, those are the kinds of children that each and every one of us want to raise in our homes, want our, our grandchildren to be like, want the children in this church to be like. That's the target that we all want. We see here in this particular passage of Scripture, after reading about in Luke chapter 2 and learning about what Christmas really is all about, the birth of Christ, we see the pattern that's laid down now that God will use to focus on the social and the physical and above all the spiritual development of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that that didn't happen independent of parents. God could have chosen any method whatsoever. You realize that? He could have sent Jesus as an adult. Boom, on the scene. Here he is. Die for the sins of the people. Go back to heaven. Not what he chose. And so in that, we learn that the parents that God gave his son Jesus Christ while he was here on earth were used to facilitate the growth that Jesus experienced. His physical, his social, and most importantly, his spiritual growth. And so parents had a role to play in the life of Jesus. God used his parents. And so based upon what we'll see in the parenting of Mary and Joseph, I want to look this morning at three keys to raising spiritual champions. Now let me tell you the goals that I have for this sermon. I realize as I look around this morning that not everyone is the parent of a young child. That goes without saying. Not everyone has parented young children. Some don't have any children. There are some who are grandparents here this morning. Those are the children maybe you have influence over. Uh, there are some whose children are grown and out of the house, or maybe you don't have as much influence over them as you'd like or whatever, but there are lots of different people. I, I wanted My goals for parents of young children, I, I want to get your attention this morning. You have a, a, a God-given and, and heaven-sent responsibility. And if you don't take it seriously... 
If you don't take it seriously, as nice as I can put it, you're living in sin. Period. If I don't take seriously the responsibility that God has given me for my young children, I am living in sin. If I don't do for my young children what God has shown me that I need to do, I am living in sin. Period. I don't want to just beat you up with sin, though. I want to call you to the opportunity to repent and turn around and receive God's grace for your parenting because that's the only hope you've got. And I also want to help you with some basic instructions that we see from God's Word that might give you something. Okay, all right, <laughs> I can do that. For those who are parents of older or grown children, you may say, well, I'm not sure this has anything to do with me whatsoever. I'll admit to you that the primary target this morning is going to be those parents who still have younger children living in their home, as we see here in the story of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that God cannot work through you in the lives of your older children. The principles will still be the same. The applications may be different, but the principles will still be the same. The way you approach young children certainly is different from the way you approach older or grown children. But the same principles will be there. For grandparents, I don't think you understand completely what kind of influence you can have on your grandchildren for God's glory. We have some godly grandparents in this room. Do not, please, and hear me, do not overlook the absolutely wonderful opportunity and great responsibility that you have to partner with the Lord in leading your grandparents to Jesus Christ, or your grandchildren, rather, to Jesus Christ. You have a great opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't miss it just in loving them. Don't miss it just in giving them things. Don't miss it just in letting them have a good time and shaking them up real good and sending them home. And then, hey, all right. You know, don't miss it in just doing that. Those are wonderful things. But in that, you've got to be guided by something as a grandparent. And as a church, you see all the children. If we don't go after the children with the truth of Jesus Christ as our absolute and only motivating factor, then all we're doing is taking up space and giving them somewhere to be that's kind of fun for an hour on Sunday morning. So I hope you hear me this morning. I believe there are principles that will apply to everyone and applications that can be made. So three keys to raising spiritual champions. First of all, model an unusual devotion to the Lord. Number one, model an unusual devotion to the Lord. Now look with me again in verse 39. Let me catch you up real quick on the story. Jesus has been born. He's been presented at the, the temple according to the Jewish law and custom. He's been circumcised, and he is now going back to, to be with his family. What's interesting to me is what it says in verse 39. Look at it. When they, his parents, had completed what? Everything according to the law of the Lord. They didn't miss anything. They did everything that God had commanded them to do. Then they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth, and then the boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, as God's grace was on him. Now, look at verse 41. Every year, his parents, plural, traveled to Jerusalem for the, for the Passover festival. Now, let me, let me kind of give you just a, a little bit here. The, the family custom, obviously, for Jesus' family was to go to the Passover. Now, this was a, an annual trip, once a year. To go to Jerusalem, celebrate uh, the, the, com the commemoration of what God did in the Exodus of leading the people out of slavery in Egypt. That's, that's over in the Old Testament. So each year the Jewish people would celebrate this. They still do. They would celebrate the festival of the Passover. It was one of three festivals celebrated in Jerusalem. This one required all men of Jewish descent to go. 
you were a man, if, if you were a Jew, you had to go. And so Joseph had to be there. Mary did not. But what does it say? Every year his parents. You realize that for the woman to go during that time was a sign of unusual devotion to the Lord. There was something about a family that all went together to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. You realize Jesus' parents weren't rich. It was a three-day journey to Nazareth. It wasn't easy, and yet they made the sacrifice to go, and they did it together. I think it's kind of flipped in our society, probably. It seems unusual for a man nowadays to lead his family spiritually. The principle remains, if you want to be raising spiritual champions, you want to be a great spiritual influence in the lives of your children, you must model an unusual devotion to the Lord. There was something about Mary and Joseph that Jesus certainly would have seen. Certainly he would have wondered, Mom, why are you one of the only women who goes to this? Are you, are you scared Dad and I can't handle it here at the Passover? What's going on? You just want to make sure Dad does everything that he's supposed to do and you know, crosses all the T's and dots the I's? That's not the reason that Mary went. Because as history shows us, this was unusual. Something about her, something about Mary and Joseph that was unusual you realize that modeling for your children, whatever it may be, whatever is modeled to them is absolutely the most powerful influence in their lives. Whatever you model for your children is the most powerful influence in their lives. Whatever you don't model for them speaks volumes as well. You realize that when there's inconsistency seen by your children and you, seen by your grandchildren, seen by the children of this church and us, when there's inconsistency, what happens inevitably is that children will likely just ignore whatever instruction you just gave them. What is it? Do as I say, not as I do? <laughs> Basically, please forgive me, I'm a hypocrite. Please please, just ignore anything that I, that I do because I really don't care that much about it. I just want to tell you what to do so that you don't cause me any problems. <laughs> Inconsistency will likely just result in your children and grandchildren and the children in this church ignoring whatever it is that we tell them and assuming there's nothing really they need to obey because we're not. You realize that bringing your children to church is not enough? I, 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 you have to hear me this morning. I hope you understand my heart. I think if you've been here long enough, you do. But bringing your children to church is not enough. Well, I brought them to church for so many years. What did you model for them at home? Well, I brought them to church. They were there every time the doors were open. What happened? What did you model for them when you're not at church? Listen, I preached to myself this morning as much, and if not more, than I preached to everyone here. But what do we model for our children when we're not at church? Bringing them to church is wonderful. Please bring them every single time that you can. We want to be able to tell them the truth of Jesus Christ at every opportunity, but it's not enough because the greatest influence in their life is not the church. It's their parents. And it never will be the church, and it never was designed to be the church, and it shouldn't be the church. It should be their parents. And I praise God for the parents in this congregation who not only are bringing their children to church, but are modeling for them at home and on an everyday basis an unusual devotion to Jesus Christ. Everyone must be involved at every opportunity. 
I want to challenge you parents. Lead them spiritually. Don't just send them away spiritually to the church. More than just Sunday, but Sunday certainly is included. Realize that you also cannot give to your children what you do not possess. If you do not possess an unusual devotion to the Lord, you will not pass that along, in all, most, most, in all likeliness anyway, to your children. You say, well, I, I want my kids to grow up and to love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? I want my kids to grow up and, and want to read the Bible, and I want them to know the, the truth of Scripture. Do you do those things? Are they a part of your life? Do you rely on the Bible as your source of wisdom and source of truth in your home? And if not, then don't count on your kids doing it either. Do you read and study your Bible regularly so it becomes a part of your life and it changes your perspective and you see things differently? And if not, don't expect your children to do the same. Maybe this morning, some of us, myself included, need to simply repent and recommit ourselves to an unconditional obedience and devotion to the Lord. When you think about modeling for your children an unusual devotion to the Lord, I also want to give you something that I think you can take with you and and begin to put into practice. And that's to take advantage of what I saw in a book this week called Everyday Talk. Realize that that, uh, on average... Those who are in their teenage years watch over 20 hours of television each week. Some a lot more, some maybe a little bit less. And on average, teenagers talk with their fathers for 35 minutes a week. Five minutes a day. Everyday talk, though, is absolutely one of the most powerful tools that you have. Everyday talk can center on stuff that happens, whatever it may be on the news, on the things you see, on movies or television, or your own experiences, your children's experiences. Everyday talk doesn't have to be predictable. You don't have to sit your children down. My dad was infamous for this, and he knows it, and so even though this is being recorded and I'm being videoed, I can say this in front of you. My parents will listen to the sermon, by the way. And my dad was infamous. He would say to me, son, sit down, I need to talk to you. Over. I have no idea what I've done. You know, I just. Well, you want to play golf this weekend? I'm like, what? <laughs> you kidding me? You don't do that to me, man. I thought I really did something bad, you know. Those times when dad would sit me down, and he did that kind of stuff all the time. I joke with him. But there were times when dad would sit me down. You know what? The most powerful times, though, with dad weren't the times when he sat me down to teach me something. We were just talking. When something happened and he would say something and bring a biblical perspective to what had just happened, those were the most powerful times. If you've got children in your life, whatever age they may be, the most powerful opportunities you have are when you least expect it, when they're least planned, when you just simply talk. Some, obviously, and I know this with a couple of my children, we've got a lot of work to do in that area. But it's on us. It's not on them. It's not on our children to pursue us. It's on us to pursue our children in that way. To use everyday talk. Imagine walking with Jesus and his family. Mom, why are you going to this? Do you know you can stay? You don't have to do this. You can stay at home. There's no requirement, Mom, for you to go to the Passover. Yeah, Jesus, but but you got to understand. 
I want to model as best I can for you an absolute, wholehearted, complete devotion to the Lord. And this is above and beyond. No, I'm not required to do it. No, God's not going to punish me if I don't do it. But let me tell you how much I love God. And I want to do it. Everyday talk doesn't have to be predictable. So just ask some questions of your children. Talk with them. Talk about God's world. Talk about what He does. Talk about how people respond to Him. When you're at home, when you're running errands, when you're just hanging out. Let your children hear what you're learning in Scripture, what you've learned at church, what you're learning in prayer. Because if you don't talk to your children, somebody will. For over 20 hours a week. So do all you can to make your everyday talk desirable to your children. To make it attractive to them. To use wisdom in it. Certainly changes as they get older. I'm experiencing that with my oldest now. As it changes and I'm having to, to learn all over again how to speak to, to an older child. Those who have teenagers, you say, oh my goodness, just wait. Those who are, children are grown, oh, just hang on. I get that. But you still must pursue your children to talk with them on their terms as often as you possibly can. I read this quote this week for parents who have teenagers. Your everyday talk in the middle of the rush of life, perhaps more than any other single factor, will determine what life with your teenager will be like. God wants your everyday talk to center on more than just what it takes to meet the next event or the next deadline. Your everyday talk in the middle of the rush of life, perhaps more than any other single factor, will determine what life with your teenager will be like. Our children need God's perspective from godly people. So be that person of unusual devotion like Mary and Joseph and give them that perspective with wisdom and with love and respect toward them. Number two, parent according to God's purposes, not your own. Parent according to God's purposes, not your own. I love this little interaction they have, beginning in verse 42 and up to verse 49. Jesus is, uh, on one particular occasion, 12 years old when he's going to the Passover. Now, at the time of puberty, a boy became what was known as a son of the covenant where he would take on manly responsibilities, highlighted by the bar mitzvah ceremony. Uh, and, and it was considered helpful to him, which naturally so, for him to attend the Passover and some of these festivals a couple of years ahead of time to kind of get the idea of what this was all about. And so on one visit, when he's 12 years old, Jesus, with his parents there, wanders off and goes to the temple. Now, during that time of the festival, there would have been a lot of great teachers around. And so Jesus seeks them out. He goes and he sits at their feet and he's asking them questions. And it says they're astonished at what he understands. And his line of questioning was so wise and so on. And he sits there so long that he kind of loses himself apparently in the moment or intentionally did so. And his parents leave. They assume that he's just with the traveling party. They traveled in large groups for safety and so on. And they just figured he's tailing along with somebody. Different world back then than it is now. Parents, you say, what in the world were they doing? Don't read 21st century America into 1st century Judaism. They just figured he was with everybody else. Perfectly natural for them to think that. Finally, it hits them. <laughs> Has anybody seen Jesus? I think he's in the back. Okay, we're going to walk back. Well, he's not here. Well, he, I think he was up front. Well, he's not here either. He may be somewhere in the middle. They can't find him anywhere, and they start, like any normal parent, to freak out. If you've had a kid wander off in a department store somewhere, you know panic like no panic can exist, and now you see what they're dealing with. 
They had gone a day's journey. How long does it take them to get back? Another day. That's two days now they haven't seen their son. They spend a third day looking for him in Jerusalem. And they come to the temple and they find him and they're shocked. Not only are they shocked, they're a little confused. And Mary's angry. You ever done that to your kids? You're so glad that, that you found them. And you just spank them real good. <laughs> Mom, um, trust me, you needed that, you know. <laughs> you know, that's what Mary says. Why have you treated us? What are you doing? Kidding me? We're freaking out, and here you are sitting here with the teachers and just talking with them, and we're out here wandering around trying to look for you, and we're scared to death. She says, why? Why? Have you treated us like this? Verse 48, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That word anxious there really means they were absolutely torn up, as any parent would be in that situation. Jesus makes no apology. It's evident that God had some different purpose for him than just what Mary and Joseph were about. He says, why were you searching for me? You should have known where I was. Don't you get it? Don't you understand who I am, he says? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. They are learning and realizing that they could not any longer parent according to their own purposes with Jesus, but they had to parent according to God the Father's purposes with Jesus. The same is true for you and me. That the purposes God has for our children are not about us, they're about Him. You realize that your own purposes for your children can be one of the most destructive things you can ever impose on them. I'm struggling with this right now, I'll tell you that. Raising young children, I am fighting, struggling, daily, not to parent according to my own purposes, but according to God's. And it is a battle every single day. Every day. Our purposes are based upon appearance and image. We want our kids to make sure that they look right, that everybody thinks they're great so that they think we're great. This morning, for some of you, was an absolute knockdown, drag-out fight to come to Christmas because your kid didn't want to wear what you wanted to put on them. But they're wearing it. And they're going to pay for it later. When you parent according to your own, your own uh, purposes, it's based on the performance and the achievement of your children. This, I, I'll just be honest with you. I struggle with this most with Hank, my seven-year-old son who's a baseball player. I played high school and college baseball. And I struggle with not imposing my purposes for him, though he loves the game and he's pretty good at it. I struggle with not putting my purposes on him that would raise him to a level of expectation on his achievement and on his performance that is unfair to him. It's my purposes for him. Because my purposes for him in baseball, I'll be honest with you, go far beyond college baseball. <laughs> We're talking retirement plan for dad, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's so subtle. You parent according to your own purposes. According to our own purposes, we just want to raise good, hard-working, law-abiding, church-going, neighbor-loving citizens. And so our kids just grow up being good and figuring that's what God wants them to do. 
our own purposes, we display our children, take advantage of it. Let me caution as best I can from a pastoral point of view. Let me caution those of you that are on social media networks not to exploit your children. Don't exploit them. Don't, don't use them to get attention for yourself by the things they do or don't do. One day, not only will you answer to God for what you put on there, but your children are going to figure it out. They're going to say, Dad, why in the world are you putting that about me on Facebook? What are you doing? tweet everything I'm doing. Are you kidding me? And I say that in some jest, but I say it with seriousness. Parents, be very, very, very careful what you do with that. God's purposes for your children are far different. God wants them to love and obey Jesus, to lay down any and all idols that stand in the way of true worship of God. God wants for you and your parenting to have an overwhelmingly greater focus on their spiritual development than on their physical and social development. Those things are simply tools for God to use. Their physical development, whatever they're good at, their social development, how they get along with people, those are tools for God to use, not the focus of your parenting. God's purpose is that your children learn to live under authority. Yes, yours, but ultimately God's. God's purpose includes your children learning to see the world from His perspective, using wisdom, biblical wisdom, to combat the lies and the deception that Satan throws at them as they get older. So what can you do? You can view yourself as a vital, vital tool in God's hands to prepare your children for the rest of their lives. You can make the spiritual growth of your children the highest priority in your home without neglecting their physical and social development. They need wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. They need wisdom. They need maturity. They need to know what pleases God, and they need to learn how to deal with people. So get your children around people who can help them spiritually. Be those kinds of people for them. The first thing is to model an unusual devotion. Second is to parent according to God's purposes. And finally, die to yourself. I can think of no better advice to give to parents than this right here. Die to yourself. Look at verse 50. They did not understand what he said to them. They will. <laughs> then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Seems like everything's back to normal. His mother kept these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. You know the rest of the story? He was brutally, brutally murdered. And his mother watched him. You think somewhere along the line she didn't have to say, you know what, God, I don't like what's going to happen. I don't like your will for him. But I'm going to die to myself. It was clear that though Jesus goes back with them and he lives with them and is obedient to them, that he's not really their own. And your children and my children and your grandchildren and the children of this church are not really our own. They belong to God. The story goes on to show how Jesus' parents had to die to themselves when the, the will of God became clearer for them and for him. There were probably times when the pain of raising the one who would suffer and die for the sins of the world was unbearable for them. They're human. They're not super spiritual. They're just like you and me. And yet, as all parents learn, they 
had to die to themselves. So what does that mean for us? Practically speaking with our children, I think for some it means to begin to listen to your kids. You do all the talking. (laughs) Listen. Die to yourself and your opinions and what you want to impose on your children. And listen. It doesn't mean you're abdicating your role as an influencer. It just means you're going to listen and die to yourself. Always remember that you are accountable to God, absolutely, for how you parent, but so are your kids. And that's got to be what your focus is, not their accountability to you and how they've offended you. But what are they doing with God? So encourage and release your children to follow God's will for their lives, whatever and wherever that may be, even when it's not the path you would choose for them. I want to encourage you and challenge you. Sacrifice whatever time or hobbies or desires or work or interests or whatever stands in the way of being the mom or dad that God has called you to be. Sacrifice it. Choose a different standard of living if need be, if that's what it takes for you to be the kind of godly and faithful parent God wants you to be. It's sad that some will choose a house or a car or a career or whatever it may be over the lives of their children. It happens all the time. This quote this week was powerful. Is the spiritual development of our children significant enough to us that we are willing to give up some of our own possibilities for the sake of the young ones? To have a close relationship and an ongoing relationship with your children, it requires constant sacrifice and self-denial. Even when they sin against you, (laughs) die to yourself. Even when you've had a long day, even when they break your heart, even when you're hurting, Because you know that your goal, ultimately, according to the Bible, is to train your children to know God and prepare them to leave home and still do it. And still love Him. So die to yourself. Above all else, and in closing, let me leave you with this. Make the main thing about Jesus the main thing about your parenting. Joseph and Mary were now responsible for parenting Jesus to be prepared to die for the sins of the world. They parented him with a cross in mind. The truth about who he is and what he was going to do guided everything for them. And it must guide us as well as parents, grandparents, as a church. Jesus claimed to be, and certainly is verified by Scripture, to be the Son of God, the only one worthy to die for our sins, the only one who was perfect, the perfect sacrifice. As man, he fulfilled all of God's demands. As God, he bridged the gap between us and the Heavenly Father. And God, amazingly, treated him, treated Jesus as if he had lived our sinful lives and now treats us as believers in Jesus Christ as if we lived his perfect and righteous life. It's amazing. The Bible says that he became sin on our behalf took all of it so that we might be called, those who believe, the righteousness of God. Hmm. We've lost the meaning of Christmas in our society. So let's not lose it in our homes and in our church. Let's learn from the earthly parents of Jesus to model an unusual devotion to the Lord, to parent according to God's purpose and not our own, to die to ourselves and to make the main thing about Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. The main thing about our parenting. So maybe this week you'd take some time to read the Bible together as a family, focusing on the true meaning of Christmas.
Maybe you'd pray at some time other than at a meal and thank God for what He's done. Maybe at least once this week you'd take advantage of the everyday talk with your children and use it to teach them about the truth, the main thing, Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd ask them about some show or person or whatever it is that they're interested in and then just listen. Maybe you'd keep a record, whether it's mental or you write it down or whatever, of the perspectives that they're being bombarded with on television, through the internet, through their social media, through their friends, and so on. Maybe you'd do something this week with your children on their terms. Ultimately, I hope you'll make a decision. Today and this week and the rest of your parenting life, do you want your children's lives, the foundations they build, to be based on Jesus and the Word of God or on worldly perspectives? And if you want it based upon Jesus and the world, the Word of God, then I want to challenge you as far as you can to model an unusual devotion to the Lord. To parent according to God's purposes, not your own. To die to yourself and to make the main thing about Jesus the main thing about your parenting. Let's pray together. next few moments, now is the time to respond to what you have heard this morning. Now is the time to repent as an individual, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a teacher, a leader in the church, whatever, for taking the focus off of Jesus Christ and placing it on ourselves. Maybe today is that time. I'll tell you, it begins with a personal knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't begin with just being a better parent. If you don't have an unusual devotion to Christ, you can't pass that along to your children. So surrender it all to Him today. Call on Jesus to save you. To change you from the inside out. He'll do it. Promised in His Word that He would. And leave here today challenged and encouraged and equipped with what you need as a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or as a church member to see children as far as you can help them be raised to be spiritual champions. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the perfect father to each of us. For loving us completely and thoroughly for sending your own Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and righteous life and satisfy all of your demands and then to satisfy the demand for a perfect sacrifice for sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you traded your righteousness for our sinfulness and that you have offered us free salvation and forgiveness. May we come to you in faith this morning. Lord, we pray that you change us individually, change us as parents, as grandparents and as a church to be vital tools in your hands to raise spiritual champions. Lord, make sure we leave here different. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.